All right, we're at 4.30, so I'm going to go ahead and call the meeting to order. Uh, any alternates to recognize and yeah. welcomes? Yeah, Jeff Ruins here for Rockney Cole of Iowa City. Eleanor Dilks is here for Susan Mims of Iowa City. And any other alternates? I did want to mention we have two new board members, uh, Aaron Shane, uh, Associate Director of the Parking. Transit and Parking yep. yeah, with the University of Iowa is here, as well as Pat Hyden, uh, Board of Supervisor. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, okay, we can uh, consider the approval of the meeting minutes. Our motion. So move. All right. Second. Thank you. We have a motion and a second. Uh, uh, any other discussion on them? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, no. Okay, that's approved. Next board meeting will be tentatively April 3rd, hosted by Johnson County. Is that most right. likely going to work, I'm sure, for everybody, or they'll make it work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll touch base with the county and make sure the room works, and if not, we'll alternate to the next uh, location. Okay. Uh, next item will be public discussion of any items not on the agenda. Any public here for anything? Mr. Chairman, I just wanted to take one minute. Um, we're glad Aaron's here and welcome her. I did want to take one minute. Uh, Aaron's replacing Jim Sayer, who had intended to be here tonight but was ill. Um, Jim has been on the board for about the last year, uh, has done a great job, has had good attendance, and of course uh, has been very good to participate with us. Um, on a personal note, I've enjoyed working with Jim for quite a while um, in his role at the University of Iowa uh, as my capacity with the MPO. Uh, and I just wanted to thank him for his time and we'll make sure Jim gets his uh, certificate of appreciation. Very nice. Uh, moving on to administration. Uh, first item here is report. Uh, from the nominating committee for the 2019 MPO board officers. Yeah, quickly at your November meeting, uh, you appointed a three-person nominating committee uh, to nominate the chair and vice chair for the calendar year 2019 Urbanized Area Policy Board. Uh, the committee was comprised of Louise Fromm from University Heights, uh, Bruce Teague with Iowa City, and Susan Mims of Iowa City. Uh, as director, it's been my practice to meet with the chairman or chairperson uh, prior to the meeting to go through work program items and anything else on the agenda that might pique their interest. Uh, and then of course the vice chairperson assumes duties of the chair when he or she is not available. Uh, currently the chair is obviously Steve Berner. Uh, Steve is the mayor of Tiffin and has served one one-year term and there's a two-year term limit for that position. Uh, the current vice chair is Terry Donahue, mayor of North Liberty. Uh, the same goes for Terry. He's in his first uh, term, first one-year term uh, as vice chair, and there's a two-year term limit for that position as well. Uh, and if someone from the nominating committee would like to give their report. Yes, I'll go ahead and give a report. Thank you, Kent. Thank you. Our committee met and unanimously recommended um, that the board uh, consider Mayor Steve Berner continue as chair and Mayor Terry Donahue continue as vice chair. Very good. My understanding is the two of them are willing to participate in those capacities, and if that's the desire of the board, we'll just do a quick vote and uh, I am. move approval. Yeah. All right. Fine. Should I make a motion? That'd be great. Uh, uh, a motion to appoint uh, Steve Berner as the chair and uh, Terry Donahue as the vice chair. Uh, we have a second. Okay. Any other discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, no. Okay. Thank you. That is approved. Thank you. 
thanks, everybody. Uh, moving on, 3B, consider approval of the fiscal year uh, MPO budget and financial forecast. Uh, yeah, thank you. The proposed FY20 budget and financial forecast was attached in your packet for your reference. Uh, the primary focus, as, as many of you know, of the MPO continues to be fulfilling federal and state requirements necessary to receive our discretionary and formula funding. Uh, and also to produce locally generated traffic studies, uh, work on grant applications for your entities, uh, and provide mapping services for your entities as well. Uh, these activities, large and small, of course, help with capital improvement programming uh, and the like. Uh, as many of you know, MPOJC is organized as a division of the City of Iowa City Neighborhood and Development Services Department and also serve as NDS staff uh, in addition to MPO staff. Uh, personnel costs are determined by the collective bargaining agreement between the city and the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, or AFSME. Uh, the overall budget that's attached in your packet reflects an approximate 4.5% increase uh, over the FY19 budget, primarily due to increases in staff salaries and uh, benefits, and largely that is ex the exact same budget as you saw last year, just with that uh, small increase. Uh, after accounting for staff time devoted solely to Iowa City functions, uh, MPO assessments are then based on populations of your respective entities. Uh, and what we'd like from the board tonight, if there's no questions, uh, is to move approval on the budget and financial forecast for FY20. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Any questions? If not, we'll look for a motion. So moved. Thank you. Second. second. And we have a second. Any other discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed, no. It's approved. Thank you. Uh, moving on, 3C, we've got consider approval of the fiscal year 20 Johns County assessments to the Eastern Central Iowa Council of Governments. Yeah, thanks. So as many of you uh, may remember, uh, the MPO collects East Central Iowa Council of Governments uh, dues on behalf of Johnson County and forwards those on to ECOG and we're essentially just a pass through. Uh, ECOG assessments are calculated on a per capita basis for the counties that ECOG serves uh, and then we in turn calculate a per capita assessment to each one of your entities, uh, which has been done for quite a few years now. Uh, for FY20, ECOG has proposed a 2% increase uh, for all the counties it serves, uh, which is reflected in the attached budgets in your packet. Uh, ECOG, as many of you know, is the designated regional planning aff affiliation for East Central Iowa, including Benton, Cedar, Iowa, Johnson, Jones, Lynn, Tama, and Washington counties, uh, and provides planning and grant administration services in the areas of community economic development, housing, transportation, and solid waste, amongst other things. Um, Tracy Achenbach is the housing director for ECOG. She is available for any questions you might have about the budget or any other activities. Uh, otherwise, what we'd like from the board is that you consider the FY20 uh, East Central Iowa Council of Governments assessment schedule that's attached in your packet. Discussion or questions? Speak up. I, I did want to mention um, the 2% increase was intended to be voted on last week at the ECOG board meeting. They, because of the cold weather conditions like us, uh, they canceled their meeting and postponed it to the end of February. So I believe it's February 28th is when they'll vote on that 2% increase. I did talk to Doug Elliott, the executive director of ECOG, and he indicated that there wasn't any reason he believed they wouldn't approve the 2%, but we're sort of out of sorts here. Usually they approve that, and then we, of course, approve our budget. This year, because of the timing and because of the, the postponement of their meeting, we're actually approving it tentative based on their approval later this month. 
if they approve something other than the 2% increase, we would bring that back to you at your April meeting uh, for a vote. I don't think we would have to hold a special meeting for that. Um, we'll hope that doesn't happen. Uh, motion for approval then from anybody? Second. We have a motion and a second. Any other discussion? Okay, hearing nothing, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, no? Approved. Uh, moving on, we've got 3D. Consider appointments to the ECI COG uh, Board of Directors. Yeah, back at your November meeting, uh, we discussed the MPO communities responsible for appointments to the ECCOG Board of Directors for 2019. Uh, per the MPO's bylaws, uh, the entities responsible for appointing elected officials this year were Johnson County, Solon, and Lone Tree. Uh, there's also one citizen appointment for which the board wanted to ask Randy Lobsher uh, to consider another term. Um, for ECCOG for the citizen appointment from Johnson County. Uh, the appointees from each entity included um, Rod Sullivan, uh, county supervisor for the county, uh, Ruby Dickey, city council member for the city of Lone Tree, and Mark Prentice, uh, city council member for the city of Solon, and again, that citizen appointment for Randy Lobsher. Uh, what we'd like from you tonight, if you don't have any questions, is consider approval of the elected official appointments as well as the citizen reappointment to the ECCOG Board of Directors for FY, or excuse me, for calendar year 19. Move I'd approval. We have a motion. Second. Okay, and second, thank you. Any other discussion? Or nothing. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, no. Okay, that's approved. Thank you. Um, next discussion of the MPO JC orientation opportunity for board members. Yeah, this time each year, um, it comes a little bit late for some of you as this is your first meeting, but I'd like to offer a uh, orientation. Uh, this is something we typically do in March and is good for either new board members or folks that are already on the board that would like a refresher. Uh, we usually sit down for about an hour at some point in March, whatever works best for the group. And we just go through, you know, basically what the MPO is, what our charge is, who we represent, how we're funded, uh, and the work activities we perform. So um, if anyone's interested, please just let me know and we'll work out a time that works best for uh, the group uh, sometime probably in early March. Thank you. All right, thanks, Kent. Moving into transportation planning, uh, first item will be consider approval of Federal Transit Administration Section 5307 Transit Operating Formula Funding Apportionment for Fiscal Year 2019 and Transit Statistics for Fiscal Year 2018. Yeah, uh, Brad Newman, Assistant Transportation Planner. Um, this is our uh, annual apportionment of our uh, Section 5307 um, Operating funding for transit. Uh, the DOT has indicated that we have just under $2.6 million uh, to apportion. Uh, this board apportions that money to Iowa City Transit, Corville Transit, and Cambus, the University of Iowa. It's based on a formula that has four factors, uh, and these are approved by the board. The formula has been approved many times over the years, and actually we adjusted it last year. Uh, we adjusted the locally determined income uh, so now it matches the national transit data, transit data um, system in the DOT's definition. So it, it's all the same now. Uh, the other factors include operating costs, like I said, the LDI, revenue miles, and fare revenue. Um, that is in the packet. It's your table. That's the breakdown. 
uh, of the apportionment based on those numbers. All the numbers we used are approved by the DOT. It's what we submit on a quarter and annual basis. Um, also included is the FY18 apportionment, so you can kind of, uh, it shows the multiplier in the apportionment amount. So it, you can see it uh, stays pretty, pretty steady year to year. Um, and then on the back page, of course, is the, uh, the performance statistics. And this is, this is something we've been doing since, uh, I think, back to the 80s. I think 86, we have these numbers. Uh, and how much, uh, basically, your ridership. Um, it talks about fare revenue and vehicle miles, vehicle hours, and cost per ride, and, and how that uh, adjusts every year based on how much we spend the service. Um, so that's what we, uh, we base a lot of this on, are those numbers. So are there any questions about any of that or that apportionment? It was um, unanimous, unanimously recommended by the TAC uh, to approve uh, those numbers. And just for, by way of background, for some of the newer members on the board, the Transportation Technical Advisory Committee, of course, uh, makes recommendations to the board. And the transit managers for Coralville Transit, Iowa City Transit, and CAM bus all sit on the Technical Advisory Committee. So they all saw these numbers and, and had that same discussion with yep. Brad. Okay. Uh, I will point out real quick, um, some of this could be affected by government shutdown. If, if we keep shutting down the government, we can't get the money. Uh, luckily, we are a year behind. We use FY18 money for FY19. And this was done years ago when we started receiving federal funding. We wanted a year in the bank, which always, which helps us out a lot so we don't have to apply multiple times in a year if they have a partial shutdown or so on. But. We'll get the uh, grants ready to go uh, once this apportionment's approved. Uh, we do the grants for Iowa City, Corville, and Canbus. Try and get them in as soon as we can, and then we'll deal with whatever shutdown comes. But uh, we could be affected by that. Thanks, Brad. Any questions? If not, he's looking for approval. You get a motion. Uh, move approval. Thanks. Second? From somebody? Second. Second. Okay, good. That was we got a motion and second. Any other discussion? Uh, hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, no. Okay, it's approved. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Uh, moving on 4B, this is an update on the Surface Transportation Block Grant and Transportation Alternatives Program grant funding process. Yeah, thank you. Uh, typically, the MPO conducts our competitive grant application process for our federal funds, which are surface transportation block grant funds and transportation alternative program funds uh, in the spring every other year. And that's been typically the desire of the technical advisory committee as well as this board so that there's a bigger funding pool to apply for every other year and thereby projects receive larger amounts. Uh, however, due to the uncertainty regarding changes in federal transportation legislation, uh, the Iowa DOT was not prepared to allow us to go through our TAP funding process back in 2017, which was our normal cycle. So this spring, we have four years of transportation alternative program funds available, and then we'll have two years of 
our surface transportation block grant funds available uh, to your for your communities. Um, in your packet, I've, out I've outlined sort of a, a timeline. Uh, the applications for both those funding pools were distributed on February 1st to all of the technical advisory committee members. So the engineering uh, group, as well as some city and administrations that's represented on the committee received those uh, last week. Uh, on February 22nd, we'll close the application um, timeline. Uh, so there's three weeks to submit your applications. Uh, March 12th, the Regional Trails and Bicycling Committee meeting. So that's our regional trails group that uh, will look at the TAP projects because they're primarily, they primarily fund trails uh, and sidewalk projects in our area. Uh, they will make a recommendation to our committee, and then that comes back to you all at your April 3rd meeting for uh, funding allocation. Uh, we work through a scoring process. As many of you know, we've gone through our, our scoring criteria many times at the board and kind of tweaked them and adjusted them. Uh, this year was no different. Um, so we've got that in place. Uh, they're in the applications. And again, all of your, your uh, committee members have received the applications. Uh, I've already set up a few meetings with some of your engineers to talk about potential projects as well as receive some calls. So I know uh, they're all working diligently on getting those completed. Uh, we anticipate about $6.7 million in surface transportation block grant funds uh, be available and just a little under $1.5 million in the TAP uh, funds. By way of background, for some of you that are a little bit newer, the surface transportation block grant funds are federal funds uh, that can be used for any mode of transportation. The transportation alternative program funds can, can be used for anything basically but streets. Um, wisely, I think, uh, several transportation legislation uh, processes ago, um, they make sure that we set aside about 10% of our total federal funding pool for things that aren't uh, basically streets and street reconstruction. And I'm happy to answer any questions you have. Otherwise, uh, you know, if you have projects in mind, make sure you're communicating with your engineering staff and city administration. Any questions from anybody on that process? All right. I'm not hearing anything. So floor C will consider approval of the federal functional class designations for the urbanized area roadways. Good evening, Emily Bothell, Transportation Engineering Planner. We've been working with the Iowa Department of Transportation to update the federal functional classification system map for the Iowa City urbanized area. And as a reminder, and for new members, um, the functional classification system is a hierarchy of roadway classes, and it identifies which roads are federal aid routes. The significance to our activities is that roadways classified on this map um, can um, receive federal funding. Um, and roadways need to be classified as collector or higher. Only 35% of the total road mileage in the Iowa City urbanized area can be on the map, and currently the urbanized area is approximately 12 miles under that threshold. Um, last year, MPO staff solicited for roadways um, to be added to the map, and we received approximately nine miles of roadways from um, staff. And of those nine miles of roadways um, received, the Iowa DOT approved or pre approved approximately 3.2 of those miles. At their January 22nd meeting, the Transportation Technical Advisory Committee um, unanimously recommended amending the federal functional classification map to include those 3.2 miles of pre-approved roadways. And so tonight, um, we're asking the board to consider approval of the 3.2 miles of roadways. Um, and attached to um, the memo is a table outlining the roadways that were approved and then those that were denied. I have a question. Yeah. Really. 
So um, you said that they have to be designated as collector or higher, um, but then that's, that's not an automatic given that they would be approved if they're a collector road, correct? What do you mean by approved? Well, like, all right, so on, on this chart that we have yes. in the packet, mm -hmm. um, there's the uh, Forever Green Road from 380 to 12th Avenue, mm -hmm. and it's um, a collector road, and it's denied. The other two that are denied are local, and the reason for being denied is, I, I'm just trying to figure out why, like what's the common factor there of those three denials? Yes, so the, um, for Forever Green Road, Coralville was asking for a classification change from a collector to um, an arterial. So it is currently on the map already. Okay. They were just asking for a higher classification for that roadway. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's sort of tricky, Lisa, when we go through this process, yeah. uh, and, and this is why, as Emily mentioned, we, we get them pre-approved by the DOT because they have this this very strict set of guidelines they use, and if you're outside of that box, you you basically won't be on the in the classification it, it system. It was really confusing to it, me, and I couldn't figure yeah. out what... Yeah, it is confusing, and we only get so much uh, road mileage, as Emily mentioned, 35% uh, of our total road network can be on the maps but then we're also growing. So as our communities grow, we have more road mileage, that percentage increases. So about every other year, usually before we go through our funding process um, that I just outlined, we go through this process to make sure that any projects you want to submit applications for are classified. So it's sort of this give and take. It's the first step then. Yes. Correct. The next. Okay, yeah. thank you. So, so yeah, so the importance of the, the, the federal functional classification, we call them federal aid routes and for any of your communities to apply for funding through the MPO, which again, I just outlined on the last agenda item, your project has to be in our long range plan in our fiscally constrained list of projects in our long range plan, uh, which we adopted in May of 17 and, and brought to the board for adoption. And then they also have to be uh, a federal aid route. And, and as Emily mentioned, we've been working with the technical committee and they, you know, they deal with this stuff on a day to day basis. So they, they have a good understanding of how it works, uh, but also get frustrated with uh, the system sometimes. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other questions? If not, we're looking for approval on this. I'm so sorry. I swear I turned. I move approval. Thanks. Looking for a second. Second. All right. Thanks. We've got a motion and a second. Any other discussion? Hearing nothing. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed, no. It's approved. Thank you. Thanks, Emily. All right, 4D. This is discussion regarding participation in the federal aid swap in Iowa, whereby state funding could replace federal funding for road bridge projects. Yeah, thanks. We're moving along at breakneck speed. This might be the item that takes a little bit longer. We'll see. It did last year. It did last year. Uh, as many of you might remember, uh, last year House File 203 was signed into law permitting the Iowa Transportation Commission to allow what's commonly referred to as the federal aid swap. Uh, a swap generally is the process whereby road and bridge projects that would typically be funded with federal funding through the MPO would instead be swapped with state funding with the, the goal of basically streamlining projects and, and getting them done more quickly. Um, at their March 2018 meeting, uh, the Technical Advisory Committee unanimously recommended participating in the swap. However, this board, after lengthy discussion, um, essentially voted against the swap uh, at a, a vote of 11 to 4. 
Uh, of the board's many concerns, uh, Davis-Bacon wages, worker safety, and lack of data supporting the rationale for the swap, I think were pretty much uh, central to, this, to the discussion. And for, for background, our MPO is the only MPO in the state, uh, or RPA, that is not participating, just for, for interest. Uh, similar to last year, unless our MBO chooses to opt out of the SWAT program, the DOT is going to assume that we are choosing to participate, so we have to actually take action to opt out, uh, same as it was last year. Uh, and due to the timeline regarding the development sort of of our, our transportation improvement program and some of the other things we have to do, um, we really need to make a decision on this probably at your next meeting. Uh, so what I wanted to do was bring this to you tonight, not necessarily for a vote, um, but just for a discussion and to make you aware that this is the process that we need to, to work through again. Um, unfortunately, because this started in federal fiscal year uh, last year, that didn't start till October. So when I discuss this with the Department of Transportation, unfortunately, they don't really have a lot of statistics on cost savings available. They did mention, though, that the project development timeline had been reduced uh, as much as six months for a lot of projects. That's where they saw the, the savings in um, time and, and money, essentially. Um, I did attach the meeting minutes from your March 2018 meeting as well as the DOT's final SWAT policy language for your reference. Uh, and then, again, the goal is just to have a discussion about this tonight if you like, or at least just get it in front of you so you can think about it prior to the next meeting. Um, it's, it's a big enough decision on your part, I think, that I didn't want to hit you cold with it, you know, at your April 3rd meeting and, and, and go from there. So um, we did discuss this at the TAC meeting uh, several weeks back. I think the, the general sentiment of the TAC is that they still would like to participate in the swap. Um, but again, we'll let them vote on that uh, next, well, we'll let them vote on that in March and they'll make a formal recommendation to you. Uh, I encouraged them to speak with uh, their city administration or their council members, um, depending on how they felt. And that's where we left that conversation. So no action needed tonight. Um, I'm happy to try and answer any questions you might have. Otherwise, uh, we'll definitely be having this discussion at your April 3rd meeting. So Kent, um, when we had that discussion last year, um, and, and we found that we, you know, we weren't locking ourselves out forever. It was right. a yearly decision. Um, and the, the consensus was that we would have data that would give us information to proceed. And I mean, we'll have a little bit more data in April because we'll have been in it six months. But um, and that that might I mean, six months is what they already told us would yeah. be the likely six to 12 months likely time savings. And um, the concerns that I had before are still concerns. The Davis-Bacon Act, OSHA, and um, I I don't know that, um, you know, I, I'm super concerned, and as I read through it again, I, I thought, you know, they're bypassing certain regulations, and and I'm concerned what those are, and it outlines that Davis-Bacon is one of them that they can bypass. Um, so those concerns have not gone away for me, and I'm not swayed by the fact that we're the only ones not in it. Um, but I was also interested because our county engineer came to us last week. Is um, it on? It must have been the week before because it was. I remember it was in person, not by phone, and um, talked about a project. And he said that it would be part of the federal swap. And I said, "What? Wait, how is that? We haven't, we haven't um, voted on that." Mm -hmm. So I was just wondering if you could respond to 
that? Yeah, I don't. I don't know what project. I assume it was Greg Parker. I think it was Highway 965, something on... Yeah, if, if it's a DOT project, they may be forcing the swap. Uh, but if it's a local, locally-let project by the county, then that should not be the case. I'm not familiar with the situation, but um, I'd have to believe that that might be a DOT-let project that, that has automatically entered into the swap, but I don't know. That was just a hunch. And we had talked about collecting that information, and it sounds like there's some information about the timing right. and the cost. Is there any information about the impact on workers as far as, you know, what are we seeing with, with these areas where they are not using the Davis-Bacon wages or, you know, the, the OSHA requirements, all of those things? Right. Um, and is that, if they have that information, it doesn't sound like they do, are they are there, is there any plans to collect that information? Yeah, so, so to answer your first question, there really isn't any information right now. And, I, and that knowing how this conversation went last year, I contacted the DOT and asked them, what can you provide us? Um, and they said, what we can provide you is that the timeline for most projects and the project development timeline has been shortened by six months. And they said, we're working on collecting data. So I said, well, okay. Um, yeah, this is one of those items that's tough to bring to the board because there's not a lot of information available. And if you remember last year, it was a similar situation. Um, Stu Anderson from the Iowa Department of Transportation came and gave a presentation to the board uh, about this time last year. And I think he was in a similar situation where there's just not a lot of information available at the time um, because it didn't start till October, uh, federal fiscal year 19. Um, so I've asked them to compile as much data as they can uh, just for your satisfaction and for your reference. Um, I will mention that similar to last year, you know, the MPO is not taking a stance on this. It's largely, it's, it's largely an individual decision for your communities. However, since we're all in or all out of the swap, that's why it comes to the MPO. So long story short, we don't have any good information, uh, Megan, and, and probably won't by April 3rd. In, in fact, I would be surprised if we had any additional information about by April 3rd. This is like, you, somebody said this is going to come annually every year if we opt out or? Yeah. Because we are opting out, that's why they will bring it every year for us. Right. So, no, the current policy is that everyone in the state, so all RPAs and MPOs would have to opt out, otherwise you're just in. So unless we take no action at all, uh -huh. they means that means we're in. Yep. So, so every year, well, knowing how this is going, every year I would bring this back to the board and we'd have this discussion. I guess last time we opted out because we had a lot of concern, as you mentioned it, with the Davis-Bacon wages, worker safety, and the lack of data, you know, supporting this. I don't think we have something new for those concerns. There is no solution or new data to, like, support those concerns. Personally, I think we should opt out again. Yeah, reducing the timeline by six months doesn't yes. satisfy me. I think that just concerns me more because haste makes waste is my concern. It's not super compelling, is it? Exactly, exactly. So. I, I, I mean, in, the, in terms of... On the national of scale, what... How are other states... I don't, I don't know. We've asked the DOT for that as well, and they... It'd be something we'd have to research internally, I think, because they don't they don't concern themselves really with other DOTs. I mean, it's just kind of their you know their business is the state so of you, Iowa. You don't know how many focus. states have on you know this. There are there are there are certainly other states that have the swab that we do know. Um, I can't tell you how many right now, but there are other states that do. Um, and again, we we sort of asked for that information last year, and they sort of said that's okay. really not information they they care to provide. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, it, as I mentioned, you know, the MPO doesn't take a stance on this uh, administratively in any in any way, shape, or form. Um, what Stu Anderson did say last year when he came to visit was that, you know, Davis Bacon was a, a major concern of the boards. And what he had said was Davis-Bacon wages, of course, the same amount of, of Davis-Bacon wages apply to the, the same amount of federal funding. So when our fund is, so say if we swapped a million dollars, um, ours is now state money locally, that million dollars still has Davis-Bacon wages applied to it. It would just be on a DOT project. Um, that's one of the things he mentioned last year. I don't think the board was compelled by that because those wages aren't spent locally, I think was one of the issues. Um, and other than that, you know, the DOT didn't provide a lot of great information, I mean, in all honesty. And I think it was new territory for them, still sort of is. Uh, so that's sort of where we're at with, again, sort of lack of data. So what you just said um, goes against what, what we were provided, that that was one of the regulations that they could bypass. So it sounds like you're saying that in practice they aren't bypassing Davis-Bacon but this would pr allow them to. Yeah, no, I don't think that's true. I mean, they, they're not bypassing Davis-Bacon. The same, so if, if we have a, a million dollars of federal funding that would have come to the MPO, if we choose to swap, that now becomes state funding. So our fund, our million dollars, Davis-Bacon would not apply to locally. When the DOT essentially swaps that funding, they would keep the million dollars in federal funding and Davis-Bacon still has to apply to their funding. So it's not so much amount, uh, it, so each dollar of federal money still has to have Davis-Bacon wages applied to it. It just, they would not be local. They would be all DOT projects. That's the way the, the swap sort of works. They try to loosen the strings for us a little bit, but they would still have uh, the burden, I guess, maybe that's not a good word, but the, the onus to pay Davis-Bacon wages on that federal money. Right. So it's sort of a one-for-one, one. it's just a different location. Then it goes back to my question from last year then. What are the regulations that can be bypassed? Because that was part of why this right. the selling point was yeah. that besides the time the speeded up timeline that there were certain regulations that could be bypassed. Yeah, so and what I don't, are they? Yeah, and I'm not an expert at this, but I don't really think there's regulations that are bypassed. They still have to meet OSHA requirements. They still have to meet NEPA requirements and go through environmental clearance. It's really just more the Davis-Bacon issue here, I think. Um, there's really not a lot of bypassing. It, the, the whole idea of the swap is to get projects done more quickly. I mean, that's what the DOT would tell you. So for them, when I ask them what the benefits are, and they say it's the, the project, it shortens the project development timeline by six months, for them that's huge because that's six months where they don't have employees working on, on the project, essentially. And w the way they shorten that is right now when, um, say, a one of our local communities it works with the DOT on a project, there's check plans that have to be provided, and there's a concept statement that has to be provided. Those just don't have to be provided anymore if we swap. So that's how they're speeding up the process by six months, is by actually reducing sort of the oversight of the local project, for lack of better explanation, I guess. Yeah. So, but, when you, but when it comes to actual regulations for environmental, OSHA, all of those sorts of things, my understanding is it really isn't bypassing any of that. Yeah, our engineer was was telling us that he, there'll be a lot, not a lot less, but there'll be significantly less engineering time put into the project because they don't have to follow a lot of the federal paperwork. Right. So we'll, on a project for the city of Tiffin, we would get to save time and engineering fees on most on 
federally projects, federal projects that will be following state rules. So he, our engineer assures us in Tiffin that we'll be saving money. And again, almost every project we do in Tiffin does not involve federal money. So when they say we get less quality projects when you're not following federal rules, I don't think that's necessarily true because we get good projects in Tiffin and good quality. So when they're when that's an argument that the union presents or or certain other people that talk about Davis bacon wages and that you're getting more quality work, that's not true. And as far as our opinion. Yeah, so. and the one the one thing I would add to is, you know, I what I always tell folks, and I think I mentioned the board last year, is you know our end of our end of all this is sort of the front end, where it's all about allocating the funds and programming the funds. You know, that's what our role as an MPO is. Then there's sort of what I call the back end of projects, which is the engineering, the paperwork, the Davis-Bacon wages, all those things. We don't do those internally, so that's where I struggle a little bit with how all this works because it's it's not what I do. So last year, remember, we had uh, Jason Hovel, the city engineer for Iowa City. Uh, I, I chose him just because he's the biggest community. Um, but we could have any number of engineers come from any one of your communities, if you like, to you know answer some of these questions. Because some of these are a little bit hard for me to answer um, when it gets into the, the paperwork uh, and how onerous it is to actually track Davis-Bacon wages and those sorts of things. That's where I just I don't have experience doing that. Um, so last year, J Jason Hobble was kind enough to come and I think answer some of the board's questions. And we could do that again uh, at your April 3rd meeting. I'm sure Jason or any number of engineers would be happy to come in and, and they'd be better suited to answer sort of what, how they see it and the time savings and, and then money savings ultimately would, would work. <clears throat> I also thought about asking Stu Anderson to come down from the DOT again for your April 3rd meeting. But to be honest, since, there's, since they've already said there's not a lot of new information, I don't know you know, just for the sake of time, I don't know that it's worthwhile for him to come and speak again, but we certainly could invite him to come. So it, it sounds like one question in my mind that's still out there would be on these local projects, what the effect on the wages would be, right? right? Because right. We're, the prevailing wage would no longer apply. So yeah. That's, yeah. that's a piece where there would... It is. So um, so what John was asking is, you know, is what essentially what wages are we paying now and how would those be different than a prevailing wage? What's required by Davis. -Bank. Correct. So what I what I have been told by engineers, and I have not verified it because I have no way to verify it, is that we essentially are already paying the prevailing wage because workers get paid fairly well in our area because we live in a... Uh, you know, a fairly expensive area to live in. So wages are a little bit higher. Um, and what I've been told is that, you know, we're probably already meeting or exceeding Davis-Bacon for most jobs. I don't know if that's true, but that's, you know, that's what sort of the sentiment that I've heard from some of the, the engineers. Um, and I'm, I would think we would be able to prove that somehow if we asked for that information. I just don't have that information because the MPO doesn't collect it. But that would be something certainly, you know, you could all discuss with your individual engineers and ask them. You know what is what what does payroll look like on job X, and what would have payroll been like on job X with Davis Bacon applied, and you know try and come up with what the difference would be. I've been told it wouldn't be a huge difference, but again, that's just uh, what I've heard. I think it'd be a good idea to invite an engineer, and I was just sure. chatting and said maybe your engineer and maybe or maybe my engineer, you know. I'd like Iris too. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, we can 
I can reach out to any number of engineers. Um, and of course, they work for you all, so you can direct your engineers to be here for the conversation as well. I mean, however you want to handle that. Um, I don't think it's a bad idea because, again, I think they can provide some of that. They can answer some of those questions I just can't answer, to be honest. Um, I'm more familiar with just sort of how it works on the, the front end and, and from the DOT. Um, we, we should probably vote on this at your next meeting. Um, if we need more time, I've sort of worked in maybe one more meeting after that, but then we start pressing up against our transportation improvement program. That's where after you all allocate uh, funding at your next meeting, we actually program that document. We have to bring that document to you and there's deadlines. So, so if at all possible, it would be good to vote on this at April 3rd. If we need one more meeting, we could probably do that and then it's, it's gonna start getting a little bit tough. Um, so is the general, would you all like to discuss that with your engineers and have them present? Would you like me to invite engineers? How would you like to handle that? It, it may work best just that if you would like your engineer available to answer questions as you invite them along and have them at the meeting. I know some of them are hourly too for some of the smaller communities. So I don't want to pressure them to come. Well, it almost sounds like if, if you want a decision done next time that we need to individually reach out to these engineers right. so that we have the information we would ask so that we can be prepared to make that decision. Yeah, and, and as I mentioned at the, the TAC committee um, a couple weeks ago, I, I encouraged them because I, I felt the direction was the same, that they were all for the swap. Uh, they wanted to participate in the swap. So I that was my um, sort of urging was, hey, you know, if it, knowing that this board would have the same questions you all had last year primarily, knowing that they're in their same position they were last year, I said, you know, I, I encourage you to talk to your elected officials or your city administration, uh, however you feel comfortable, and share share your ideas, share your concerns. Um, and I mentioned them as well that this just, it's not something the MPO administration should be pushing one way or another, so. So I guess, yeah, I guess I would encourage you to talk to your city administration, uh, county admi administration, or your engineers and have that discussion with them. And if you would like them available April 3rd, they can certainly come along and they can be available for any questions we have. Probably not a bad idea. Does anyone feel it's necessary to have a DOT representative join us April 3rd? Do we feel like we would get... I mean, we have the minutes from last year. Yeah, last and, and, and there's no additional information. I'll, I'll check back in before April 3rd. I'm guessing there won't be any additional information, but I, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem like if there's any additional information, it's wise to invite them to drive down from Ames. And, yeah, I agree. I don't yeah. see any benefit of inviting them. It'll be the same as last year. The, the other good thing about having engineers present is some of the questions, uh, especially Lisa, some of the questions you had about sort of... Um, bypassing regulations and things, those are the questions the engineers will be better to answer to. I think, yeah. I yeah. Think. And, and they'll be able to answer questions about what form of environmental review your project still has to go through and if that's different under a swap, <coughs> um, that sort of thing. So I, I think that's a wise decision just to get the information we can. Okay. Thank you. All right. Are we good on this? <coughs> Excuse me. All right, moving on. 4E, we got an update to the MPOJC Fiscal Year Transportation Planning Work Program and Fiscal Year 2023 Transportation Improvement Program. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to give you a quick update on those two items, the Transportation Work Program and the Transportation Improvement Program. 
I'll start with the work <coughs> program. Of course, you, you might know this is our annual document that identifies all our major projects to be, to be addressed in the following fiscal year, and in this case, FY20. Uh, it's a coordinated effort between this board, our Transportation Technical Advisory Committee, and the Iowa DOT. Uh, the work program includes all state and federally required planning processes and documentation, ongoing and routine projects, and special projects requested by member entities. Um, we've already sent out the, started solicitating for those uh, projects, the local projects. Uh, we sent that out last Friday to all the technical advisory committee members. So if you have something in mind, you need to talk to those folks and, or you can talk to us directly and we can get that worked out. Um, this board will consider those locally determined projects in March. Uh, and then in April, April 1st, we'll have to have our draft put together and that's submitted to the DOT, Federal Transit Administration and the Federal Highway Administration for their review. And then it'll come back here for final approval uh, in May. Uh, the Transportation Improvement Program, uh, of course, is the programming document for all federally funded transportation improvements within the Iowa City urbanized area. Um, Kent covered most of the local projects through the uh, Surface Transportation Block Grant and the Transportation Alternatives Program. Uh, of course, this document also includes all the DOT projects in this area. So. Uh, and we don't have any say-so really on those. They just add them to our TIP as they go. Uh, but we do get notifications as to when they spend the money uh, and how much. Um, like I said, Kent covered most of the uh, surface transportation block grant and the TAP program, uh, the $6.7 million for STBG and the $1.45 million for the TAP program. Uh, the board will consider uh, awarding STBG and TAP projects in March. Uh, the awarded projects will be programmed in FY 23 and 24, uh, and those will be included in the next two TIPs, because the TIP is only a four-year document. The one we'll be approving this spring is 20 to 23, uh, and then the, the next year will be 21 to 24. So some of the projects will be in this go-around in the TIP, and some will be in the next one. That's just how it works out when we do that every every other year. Uh, of course, the board will adopt the draft uh, 20 to 23 TIP in May, and the final will be approved in July. Any questions on those items? No? I don't think so. Okay. Thanks, Brad. Moving on. Uh, okay. You're not moving anywhere. I'm so not you're moving. Doing this one. <laughs> still, still here. Update on the Crandick Passenger Rail Rails to Trails studies. Yeah, as you know, we have two studies going on right now. Um, the It's our third phase three of our passenger rail study. Um, that's a study that focuses on ridership, revenue forecasting, financial strategies, benefits to the communities, and conceptual station design. Um, the stakeholders in this study include Iowa City, Coralville, Johnson County, University of Iowa, Crandick, and the Iowa DOT. Uh, we're currently uh, working with HDR Consulting uh, on this study, and we've run into a little bit of an issue. 
uh, over the, uh, the ridership model and methodology. Um, FTA needs to approve the ridership model and methodology um, if we are interested in applying for future funding, federal funding. So they have to approve the model and methodology so it fits within their program. Um, the problem we've run into is HDR made some assumptions, um, and I, th I think they were wrong. Um, so they're working with uh, the DOT and the FTA, trying to work out something that um, will work for FTA. Uh, I don't know how that's going to go. Um, it, they basically signed the contract to do the study with making some assumptions and they didn't come through. So we're trying to work things out without having to spend a lot more money, which that'll all come back here uh, if, we, if we have to increase uh, funding for it. But um, we're, we're waiting to see. They're working with FTA. I know they have a call in to them. Of course, FTA was out for a few weeks. Nobody was home to talk to. Uh, they're back now, so hopefully they'll get something scheduled and something worked out. And we'll get back to you. I know this uh, study was supposed to be done by the end of 2018. Um, and now we don't have any real idea how long this is going to take until we get it all worked out. We'll bring back more information when we know. Yeah, Brad had touched on this. This is... Uh you might remember one of those. This is one of the projects where um, it was it was roughly a hundred thousand dollar contract um, split three ways. The Iowa DOT paid for a third, uh, Cranick Railroad paid for a third, and then the entities that Brad noted earlier uh, split the other third. So I think the local uh, buy-in, so to speak, is was ten thousand dollars, give or take. So um, we have not we have not spent those funds because we have not received uh, what was in the contract. But it's just one of those things we're gonna have to work out and and be patient on. Um, the rails to trails study, um, this is a, it, it deals with a shorter portion of the Cranic Corridor. It's a six mile um, trail between downtown Iowa City and the university's Oakdale campus. Uh, the stakeholders, uh, which are paying a third of this, like Kent had mentioned, the stakeholders in this study are Iowa City, Coralville, Johnson County, and the University of Iowa. Uh, DOT did not participate. Uh, because it's rail money they're using, and this is not rail-related, so it's, it's more trail. Um, uh, this study focused uh, a lot on the rail abandonment process, uh, characteristics of a rails-to-trails project, uh, connectivity with existing trails, potential liability issues, uh, and the cost estimate for rail removal and trail development. Uh, we do have a draft of the study. Uh, we're current, currently reviewing that to make sure um, they've covered all our comments that we had from the first draft. Um, of course, the estimates right now, uh, what we're looking at is three and a half to five and a half million dollars, uh, depending on the uh, surface type of the trail for that six mile uh, section. Uh, but like I said, we will uh, take a look at the draft, we'll make some more comments, and we'll get a final to you uh, hopefully by the next meeting. Uh, then we can go from there. Are there any questions on either one of those studies? Um, Brad, mm -hmm. tell me if I'm wrong on this. It was my memory that that um, would be something that we would consider pursuing if the um, passenger portion was not a feasible option, correct? Uh, yeah, um, I think that's fair. Yeah, it, so it's kind of like we're getting yeah. information about the 
yeah. plan B before we're getting yeah. right. before the we information get plan from A plan A. Uh, but yeah, that, that's essentially correct. I mean, we, the idea was we'd have them both simultaneously, but because of what Brad had mentioned about right. the, the contract for the rails portion. Yeah, the idea, I think, is that if if we can't move forward with, a, with an actual passenger rail in the near future, it was how best to utilize that corridor. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Cranick Railroad approached um, the MPO years ago when we started this process, um, wondering what they could do and wondering what we could do with the rail. So I'm reading between the lines here, but I think Cranick Railroad is open to doing something different with that corridor, uh, clearly. I mean, they, they approached us. So yeah, so I think the idea is if passenger rail either isn't feasible or just isn't you know something that we have an appetite for locally, that you know potentially that might make a really good trail corridor in the near term and how best to preserve the corridor for something because if it's not a trail it's not a passenger rail corridor and it's not a freight corridor like it is today it will you know Cranick's gonna have to make a decision on what they want to do with that that property and they may start parsing it off and selling it or you know starting the railroad abandonment process so um yeah so it just made sense why we we're working with hdr on that passenger rail portion just to, to essentially add on the trail portion as well Any other questions? We'll get back to you as soon as we can, uh, get something worked out. <coughs> okay. Thanks, Brad. Okay, next item will be the report on the Severson Cup Charity <coughs> Challenge and award it. Hi, Sarah Walls with the MPO. Um, ending on a happy note, uh, as you know, every holiday season, the, um, the MPO entities have a friendly challenge where we uh, staff from the various entities um, raise funds for um, local charities, most of which are the local food banks, but also um, <clears throat> the Joan Buxton Children's Aid Fund, which with the Iowa City Community School District and the Valley View Lodge. Um, is, is another charity that money is raised for. And um, that runs the entire month of uh, December into the uh, first week of January. And uh, the contributions were up 14% this year. More than $11,000 was donated to those charities from all of our entities. And um, this year's winner, which is um, determined by the amount of improvement over their last, their previous year's participation, um, is the community of North Liberty, who is very excited <laughs> to win this year. And we'll be getting you um, the Severson Cup that you can display in your um, city hall. So congratulations. Yeah, it's a really good event, and I appreciate everybody uh, taking the time and energy and, and making the donations. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, I think that was our last <laughs> item, so we get a motion to adjourn. Second. Second. Did we get both? All those in favor say aye. 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 All right, we're adjourned. Thank you, everyone. Thanks.